University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. been studying the book of John and the signs and wonders that Jesus performed. The other Gospels call them miracles, but John calls them signs. Like signs, as we've talked about many weeks, they point us to something greater. They encourage us to look beyond the actions of the miracle to the why. Why did Jesus perform such a thing? And of all the things Jesus did, why did John include only these seven in his gospel specifically? Today we're going to look at the last of these signs in the book of John. Now next week, John Parks will, I'm going to say John Parks so you'll know I'm not talking about the gospel writer John, right? John Parks will conclude our series using the penultimate sign. But today we're going to spend some time looking at the raising of Lazarus. I'm going to draw out some of my own observations as I've studied and I've prayed over this passage, but I also pray that you will allow yourself to ask some of your own whys to this story. I've chosen to break the story's reading up a little bit. It's quite long. Um, so I'm going to start with the first section. This morning I'll be reading from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message Bible. So starting John 11 in verse 1. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Jesus replied, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he may very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said these things and then announced, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death, while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. That's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, Come along, we might as well die with him. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. The sisters say, The one you love so very much. Ah, to be loved and to love Jesus. Jesus deeply loves Lazarus, and the sisters deeply love Jesus. Now, when they sent word and said, 
this one that you deeply love. I don't think they were being manipulative. I think they were proclaiming what they already knew of Jesus. They had already seen him living out and loving them deeply. One of the podcasters that I listened to who's gone through a deconstruction and a rebuilding of her faith said one time, I struggle with a lot of the things that I read in the Bible, but one thing that I just can't escape is Jesus. He just keeps drawing me back. And I think it's in passages like this that really we get drawn to that character of Jesus and to Jesus' love for us. So what does it mean to be loved by and to love Jesus? I want us to look at this interaction through the lens of being loved by Jesus. What are some of the things that we can hold as truths in a relationship with Jesus? The first here is that Jesus' timing is not always our timing. And I don't mean that in a trite way. After Jesus hears that someone he deeply cares about is not well, he waits. He doesn't go right away. Now, most of you who know me know that I like to get moving. If you're walking with me, I think John mentioned this one week in a sermon. If you're walking with me, we're going to get along. We're going to move fast. If somebody says there's a need, I'm going to be right on it. I'm not going to sit around and wait, right? But it seems like Jesus is kind of taking his time here. I had a good friend in Slovakia, and when it was time for her to be picked up by her dad, she would, she would call him a number of minutes before she knew that he needed to leave the house, because this is what he would do. He would get the call, and he would say, okay, I'm on the way. And then he would make himself a cup of coffee every time. He would make himself a cup of coffee, and he'd sit down, drink his coffee, and then he would leave to go get her. So she learned through the years, if you want him to pick you at a certain time, you've got to tell him a lot earlier. It's just the way, it's just the way he did things. Jesus says, though, it will become an occasion to show God's glory. So Jesus isn't just sitting around having coffee. He knows that God's glory will be shown through these events. He proclaims that the sickness is not fatal, but it kind of seems like it at the time, doesn't it? So after some waiting, he decides to go. But disciples now are concerned. First, they're worried it might be dangerous. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Then, after what feels like a pretty confusing conversation that we're not going to get into today, Thomas finally says, let's go. We might as well die with him. The first time I read that, I kind of saw it like sarcastic, like, let's go. We might as well die with him. But, but as I read it more, I started thinking maybe, maybe this is Thomas's commitment to be with Jesus, to do what Jesus has called to walk alongside him, to be in relationship with him, to trust his timing on things. So by the time they get there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. For the people there, it feels pretty hopeless. Have you ever prayed for something and you don't feel like God's really hearing your prayer? Or rather, maybe not answering it in the time that you would like? To be loved by Jesus is to know that God is not playing games with our lives. But there is often a right time for things that we don't really understand. What is something that you've been waiting on that you need to give just a little bit more time? What do you need to wait on in faith that God will use it for God's glory? 
So we've got the sisters who are wishing he'd speed things up and come faster, and the disciples who are thinking it's not a good idea for them to go at all. And as always, Jesus makes his way kind of in the middle of all that on his own time. Starting in verse 17. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask, he will give you. Jesus said, Your brother will be raised up. Martha comes out and immediately says, If Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here. But then, I know that whatever you ask, God, he will give you. Martha questions the timing, but still professes faith that if Jesus acts, God will answer. She's not afraid to come to Jesus with her questions. She rushes out to him and starts questioning him right away. She shows regret and honesty at the events. And notice Jesus does not dismiss her. Jesus does, however, give her maybe a surprising answer. Have you ever said, if only to God? If only this or this hadn't happened. If only this had happened. I think sometimes us Christians want to rush to the faith part. We want to look bold and thankful to God for God's blessings. We don't want to seem ungrateful. Some might even think that the act of questioning God is in opposition to having faith. But we really can't skip over the if-only part. We have to be honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. Faith isn't a lack of questions. In fact, questions are what often help us show greater faith, as we see with Martha. There are a lot of us here who've experienced difficult things this year and in these past few years. Death of ones that we love deeply, loss of a job, deterioration of health, a new diagnosis, loss of things we assumed we would always have, loneliness, weariness with a job we don't love, recognition that your children aren't turning out the way you'd hoped and planned, deep sadness for the state of our nation or the state of the world. I could go on and on. We cannot dismiss those things with rose-colored glasses. We have to bring those things boldly to Jesus. This might even extend to talking to a counselor, a therapist, or another professional. There is no shame in these things. These are ways we help ourselves face up to the if-onlys in life. These are the ways that we're honest about where we are and what we're, what we're going through. Now, I am not saying that God is acting in our lives like the chess master, moving us here and there for God's victory. But I do believe that God continues to work for our good and that we are loved so deeply by a Jesus who is much more patient than we are. Being loved by Jesus and loving Jesus means being honest and being prepared to wait patiently on God's timing. Rush to God with your questions and be prepared for perhaps a surprising answer. What do you need to rush 
to Jesus with today? What haven't you been honest with God or with yourself about? Do these things require maybe just a little bit of extra patience? Now in verse 28. Then Martha went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, The teacher is here and asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to him. Jesus had not yet entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Again, people recognize the deep love that Jesus had for this family. Mary joins them and does her own set of questioning, just like Martha. And then Jesus asks where Lazarus is, and Mary says, Master, come and see. She ushered him to her grief, and he came full of tears. John starts his gospel with the word becoming flesh, the word being made flesh. So here the word, who is God in flesh, is weeping. He is weeping and am I. Jesus knows how it will end, and yet he joins in their sorrow. As most of you know, I get emotional easily. I wrote that, and you see that. <laughs> when someone else is crying, I most assuredly will cry along. When I talk about how much I love the kids of this church, I will get teary. It happens. Because they are my joy, and I'm so thankful that I get to work with them. One of the things I love about children before we reprogram them, is how free they are with their emotions. If they are mad, you know it. If they are sad, everyone knows. Miss Laurie from this morning knows when they are tired of making a basket, right? <laughs> we know. They haven't learned yet how to hide their feelings. Jesus isn't known to hide his feelings either. And what's happening here isn't just a little bit of tearing up at an emotional situation. In verse 33, when Jesus saw Mary and the Jews sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. This word in the Greek is a deep and full feeling. It is not something passive or surface. surface. It comes from the gut. And then the scripture says, Jesus wept. Or in some translations, Jesus began to weep. Jesus acknowledges the pain that death causes us. In all those griefs that I mentioned a few minutes ago, Jesus is not a bystander. Jesus is weeping with us. Our creator, God in flesh, enters into our grief and weeps with us. I once heard a famous author on a podcast talking about a funeral she went to as a teenager. The funeral was for a young child. And the minister was going on and on about how 
the child was in a better place now. And God gained another angel. And God's will was done. And she said, I just don't believe in the God that this person was talking about. Rather, I choose to believe in Jesus who weeps with us, who sits with us and hurts with us, who lets us crawl up in his lap like a child and feels the pain and the grief of death with us. Jesus does not use this situation as a time for a long theological discourse. He has done that earlier in the chapter. He shares in our grief, and he feels deep anger at the sting of death. What are you grieving today? Is there something that you need to allow Jesus to come and see? Jesus comes to see this heartache face full of tears and a heart full of deep anger at the injustice of the world. But Jesus does not stop there. Now I'm going to go back and grab a little bit of scripture that I skipped over earlier. We're going to start in verse 23. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. But then Jesus said, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, Master, all along I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And then in verse 38, then the Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by this time there is a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver wrapped from head to toe and with a kerchief over his face. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him so first he instructs, and then he shows. Jesus tells Mary that he is the resurrection and the life, and she misunderstands him to mean the future resurrection. But he shows us in this sign that he is the now resurrection. Jesus says, I am, not I'm going to be later. Jesus is not just content to save us from ultimate death. Jesus is life now. Jesus wants us to bring, he wants to bring healing and resurrection to our daily lives. The Jews often spoke of a future resurrection, but in true Jesus fashion, we have Jesus overturning the expectations and offering the resurrection in the present. What is it in your life that needs to be resurrected? What needs new life? Is it your marriage? 
or another relationship that needs healing and hope? Is it a relationship with a child or a parent that needs forgiveness and love? Is it your grief that needs space to be real and to be seen? Is it an addiction to substances, power, money, or even control that needs to be brought into the light and dealt with? Jesus weeps with us. And then he takes those dead things and he brings them to life. Sometimes, like Lazarus, we need help to remove the cloths of the dead. Lazarus didn't come out fresh and clean. In fact, the King James Version says, he stinketh. And still, he had the cloths of the death wrapped around him. He needed those present to help him come to fullness, to full life. Is there someone you know that needs your help removing the things that are stinking? Or maybe you need to reach out to someone and ask them to help you remove your own cloths of death. To be loved by and to love Jesus does not mean that bad things won't happen, but that Jesus will be present in those times. You are loved deeply by Jesus. That Jesus that makes all things new. Not just later, but right now. I'm going to close with a quote from Tom Wright's book, John for Everyone. Come and see, we say to Jesus, as we lead him, all tears, to the place of our deepest grief and sorrow. Come and see, he says to us in reply, as he leads us through the sorrow to the place where he now dwells in light and love and resurrection glory. The new day is dawning, and though where we live, the night can be very dark, and the tears very bitter, there is light and joy waiting not far away.